It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen got no seats. The ladder from the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, with the system of the gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're eating it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. And Bloom! <laughs> hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, broadcasting from beautiful Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Gatlinburg, Tennessee, one of our favoritest places in the whole world. <laughs> That's right. Yes, and unfortunately, a, a scene of a disaster in November, in yes. early December. That's right. That's right. We were one of the fortunate ones that were able to survive a major fire and unfortunately when he when he says us he means our house not not us personally we weren't here thankfully we were not here unfortunately a lot of people were but we did survive but we're looking now at all of the damage yes that's right there's a lot of burnt areas there a lot of hills and a lot of uh, ridges with burnt trees all over the place and some of them, we've had actually a lot of wind recently, and so... Today. Yeah, and Gusts so, of up to eight, 80 miles an hour. Right. Some of these dead trees, some of these burnt trees actually fell, so it Unfortunately, is... Unfortunately, on some electric lines. Right. A major issue, uh, and uh, we had gusts of up to 80 miles an yep. hour. That was pretty amazing right here in Gatlinburg, and that's probably what part was part of what caused the huge fire that occurred here in November. Well, it was a contributing factor of the spread. It was jumping from mountain to mountain areas because of the fire. If those winds, I'm sorry, because of the winds, but if the winds had not been as high as they were, they said up to 50 or 60 miles an hour back then, the fires probably wouldn't have spread so quickly and so viciously across the mountains. widely, uh, right, throughout the entire area. It it just looks like someone jumped from hilltop to hilltop with fires. Absolutely. Spot fires here and there, embers, all sorts of stuff. What I can't believe... And the wind. Yeah, what I can't believe is it didn't get down to the main area. It was amazing, It burned straight down to the creek behind the main road, straight through Gatlinburg. Just fires on both sides. But the actual main drag in it's town fine. actually was fine. So Crazy. one of those one of those miracles and one of 
over 900 miracles, which are basically that I'm able to write a coherent article <laughs> on survival medicine. You still or have a, your brain, Or honey. a video or a podcast <laughs> <laughs> or any kind of disaster. Well, I am Joe Alton, MD, and I am also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net. And those, that's where you'll find those over 900 post videos and podcasts. And who are you? I'm Amy Alton. I am a nurse midwife and a certified, excuse me, an advanced registered nurse ha! practitioner. And that's <laughs> a certified nurse midwife. <laughs> there you go. I had, and to, the I had host. to take a big old <laughs> terrible test for that one. <laughs> and the hostess with the mostest. Absolutely. Our mission is to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. We are a twosome, a dynamic duo, a prodigious pair, Beauty and the Beast. And we are here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a calculating chameleon? Well, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Darn tootin', but what if the ambulance is not heading in your direction? In a disaster, you might be the highest medical resource left to your loved ones, so show me you got more sense than the good Lord gave a salamander and learn what to do <laughs> for injuries and illnesses in times of trouble. And while you're at it, get some supplies <clears throat> and a medical kit to go along with all that knowledge and what better place to get it than the incredible Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits and individual items at store.doomandbloom.net. They will help you handle medical issues when the poop hits a propeller <laughs> and they're designed indeed by a real doctor. That's me, an advanced registered nurse practitioner. That's her. Compare them for quality, contents, costs, uh, anything with anybody else's stuff. And you will agree. One of our kits is the one you should have in your medical store. You know who else wants our medical kits? Who? The bears. The bears. Oh, yes. <laughs> the bears. Well, we are on our way to Asheville, North Carolina from Gatlinburg, and uh, we stayed in our home. Of course, we have a home here in Gatlinburg. We've, we've heard the story about uh, our home in the fire recently, and sure enough, we have some very intelligent bears here. Tell us the story. <laughs> well, unfortunately, they have learned to open doors, and we've actually talked about this before, but the one time I forgot to lock the door... Oh, they got right in. I of have the a, car. I have the video of them getting into the car, and he drags out two large boxes, and unfortunately unpacked for our show, takes two of my medium kits in red. Of course, he was attracted to the red color. I don't know why. They're colorblind, aren't they? <laughs> I have no idea. All right. But I do put raw honey in these kits, so um, I don't know. You sh he shouldn't have been able to smell that from where he was, but... He tore one of them up, and we thought that was it. Just one was torn up, and no problem. We threw the bag away and de deconstructed it right. <laughs> and threw away all of the bad stuff. But we found today to, this has been, what, three days later? Uh -huh. A medical kit in red 
at the bottom of our little hill, mountain area, at the bottom of our deck. Right. I thought it was the first one when I first looked at it, <laughs> and I said, oh, no. Another one. <laughs> so... Dr. Bones here repelled himself down with a rope, very dangerously, I might add. Oh, yeah, boy, that's steep. It is very steep. We're on basically the side of a mountain. I'm too old to be doing and that kind of stuff. And you recovered the kit. Indeed. And the bear actually didn't get the honey this time. So, anyway, bears love our kits. Get the <laughs> medical kits that bears endorse and just love. <laughs> How can you go wrong? <laughs> hey, what's with you, Lou? We learn as much from you, Lou, as you do, Lou, from us. So why not connect with us? It is so easy. Here's the lovely nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. You can contact us anytime by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. Facebook pages are Doom and Bloom, TM. I believe the TM is on that one. No. And also uh, Dr. Bones, with the doctor spelled out, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Hmm. Show. Very Twitter. confusing. I know. Twitter is at Prepper Show. And we have the YouTube channel, which is the DR Bones Nurse Amy. It's, that's easy to search there. And uh, we do have another podcast, which is about current events and some politics, what's that's happening called, in the that's, world. That's right. That's called American Survival Radio, and we are on Genesis Communications Network, GCNlive.com, and we're also broadcast from a number of radio stations throughout the country, KPJC, Salem, Oregon, Relevant News Talk Radio, Lubbock, Texas, KRFE, uh, Fairbanks, Alaska, KFAR, uh, internet uh, stations talk 365 the prepper broadcasting network survival central uh, shake and wake radio kimb radio gosh and all sorts of other great folks and hey don't forget to see us when in person come by and say hi when we travel the country spreading the good news of disaster medical preparedness we will be all over the place this year <laughs> as a matter of fact this weekend we're heading to beautiful Asheville, north carolina for the mother earth news fair one of our favorite events and we'll be there this weekend i think that's may 5th and 6th nope Six and seven. <laughs> May 6th and 7th. Almost. And we'll even be talking about medical issues for the <clears throat> remote homesteader there. You can see our free lectures there. The next Saturday, folks, we have a very special program, an eight-hour program. That is on May 13th. 13th, yes. Saturday, May 13th. That is a, a great program for folks in western North Carolina and east Tennessee. You can attend our eight-hour hands-on class in Kodak, Tennessee, right off I-40 between Knoxville and Sevierville, easy to get to from Western North Carolina, from that, uh, uh, <clears throat> Middle Tennessee. Not too far Kentucky, from Asheville either. Right, Kentucky, Northern <clears throat> Georgia. You can attend our uh, awesome hands-on suturing class, our uh, bleeding control class. We'll be talking about mass casualties. We'll be teaching you how to recognize lung sounds with your stethoscope which we will be giving you and a number of other items as well and uh burns it, orthopedic right, injuries both right of those and a good time will be had by all so <laughs> i hope that you will consider that to how, how would they sign up for that class absolutely they can go to doomandbloom.net and click on the classes page 
and it will be, I believe it's the first sign up at the bottom of the page. There's descriptions of the different classes we give, but it's, I believe, the first sign up. And actually, underneath that one, you'll find the, you know, actually Asheville is first, but then you'll find the eight-hour class, and underneath that is one I want to mention. I just changed Dallas, Texas, Self-Reliance Expo, from a suture class to a bleeding control class. So if you folks out there live near Dallas, it's actually at the Irving Convention Center. Yeah, we've had a on, lot of people who've taken our suture class. Yeah, there. on May 26th, we're going to hold that class at the Irving Convention Center. It is 1 to 4 p.m. It is a Friday. I'm sorry. But um, he holds his shows on Friday and Saturday. And Saturday, I need to be in the booth because we got lots of people to talk to. <laughs> and plus, you're speaking on Saturday, so I have to be in the booth. There so. The class is 1 to 4 on Friday the 26th. So that's a an, different class that I don't usually give. And you'll learn about tourniquets and hemostatic gauzes, different techniques to stop hemorrhage. You'll have hands-on of three different tourniquets, the CAT, the SWAT, and the soft tea. So you'll actually be self-applying and applying to hopefully a willing partner sitting next to you. <laughs> <laughs> we won't tighten them too much, though. <laughs> there you go. All right, well, so I hope that you guys will come by and say hi to some of the places we'll be to. We'll be at, we'll be at a number of different other places as well, and as uh, we close in on those dates, we will be uh, letting you know. Oh, you know what? Let me those. just want mention one more, which is at just at the end of June, which is creeping up really quickly. Uh, that is in Bowling, Ohio. Bowling Green? Bowling Green. Yeah, I left out the green, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go bowling in Ohio. No, it's in Bowling Green. And that will be June 25th. And that's at an Ohio prepper show. Again, if you want more information, go to doomandbloom.net and go to the classes page. So if you're near Bowling Green, Ohio, we will have a suture class June 25th. That's right. Just click the button on the pretty toolbar on the main page. Hey, you know, whether you're a hiker, camper, or survivalist, you're going to be spending a lot of time in the great outdoors. And you, during all these off-grid adventures, you're going to be exposed to all sorts of critters that want a piece of you. Just watch an episode of Naked and Afraid, right? Oh, Honey, my gosh. To see what I mean. Boy, those poor folks. Just one of those shows <laughs> makes you never, ever want to be naked outside. Naked in even, the woods. For even five minutes. I know. And that's sort of how <laughs> we all... bug bites. We all started off the naked in the woods. creepy crawlies. I know. Amazing. And one of these creepy crawlies is the tick. The lowly tick. Ticks are... Uh, they look like insects, but they're actually eight-legged spider-like arachnids that exist in various species throughout the United States. They latch onto the skin of a host for a meal of blood, and they transmit various disease-causing critters, other critters, germs, pathogens is what we actually call them, to humans and animals through infected saliva. And these diseases include Lyme disease, uh, babesiosis, uh, that's what Amy has. That's that's your problem. You got babesiosis because you're <laughs> such a babe. No, actually, it's a pretty bad infection. Yeah. Anaplasmosis, uh, tularemia, uh, Rocky Mountain Mountain Spotted Fever. You may have heard of that one. Ehrlichosis, relapsing fevers. Uh, so that's something that acts a little bit like malaria. But today we're going to concentrate on Lyme disease. Lyme disease is caused by a bacterium 
Some people think it's the word is bacteria. Bacteria is the word for plural. There's a plural word for these guys, but bacterium is actually the single, singular form. And we're going to talk about a bacterium known as Borrelia burgdorferi. And that is commonly transmitted by the little black-legged tick, also known as the deer tick. Now, experts are expecting more cases of Lyme disease this year due to recent mild winters. And also, bumper, you may be surprised to know that bumper acorn crops actually increase the population of ticks. Not because they eat acorns, but they increase the population of animals that ticks like to feed upon. These include uh, mice in uh, the northeast. They're white-footed mice, the favorite of baby ticks, uh, deer and dogs, uh, popular targets for adults. And because of the abundance of host animals, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, are, they're estimating there are going to be 300,000 cases of Lyme disease this year, just about three times the number that was reported 20 years ago. So this is something that is pretty impressive. If, if you're wondering, Lyme disease is spelled L-Y-M-E. It has nothing to do with the citrus fruit, limes. Uh, it it was first diagnosed in the town of Old Lyme, Connecticut, and that was in 1975. And since then, just in 40-odd years, Lyme has become the most common tick-borne illness in the Northern Hemisphere. Now, ticks have a life cycle that can last up to two to three years. It can include certain phases. It's, they start off as an egg, then they become a larva when they hatch, then they morph into a juvenile or also called a nymph and then they become an adult now for a larva to develop into a nymph and for a nymph to develop into an adult a blood meal is required and it appears that nymphs are the ones that carry the most cases of Lyme and the CDC estimates that about 30 percent of them carry the disease in certain areas the northeast especially and the upper midwest as well now, to pass along Borrelia burgdorferi to an animal or human, ticks first have to find their hosts, right? They do this in a number of ways. They detect smells. They can sense body heat. They feel vibrations with movement, let's say, on game trails. Usually, they'll hang on grasses and bushes uh, along areas where people or animals uh, travel. And they hold on with their back legs to, let's say, a leaf, and they latch on to pasteurize uh with a, their front pair of legs at, while holding on with their back legs. Okay, I just have to say that sounds really, really creepy. That they're just sitting there with their front legs just waiting to grab onto something as the innocent victim walks by. I know, it's amazing how they figured out this strategy. Just hanging and waiting. I know, I, I think... Now, are they, the question is, are they standing or are they, are they hanging upside down by their back legs? Hmm. Well, that's <laughs> a good are, question. I guess it depends I'm on imagining where, them, where, how the leaf is facing. Listen, I'm imagining <laughs> them standing on their, their back legs, just, just waiting for you and just oh like leeching, to, lurching towards somebody and Yuck. leeching on. <laughs> Latching on. Latching on to and leech to with its mouth parts the blood, right. through the skin and start yeah. extracting it blood. All, it all works. It just is in a certain way. <laughs> oh, right. my gosh. What this means is that for any wise person, a thorough examination of the entire body for ticks is a good idea 
and you should do it within two hours of returning after a day outdoors. That's mostly because the ticks sometimes are particular as to where they bite, and so they may not actually have bitten you just as soon as they get onto your skin. It may take them a while. And of course, this kind of examination is probably best accomplished during a shower. You could easily brush the tick off if they had, if it has not bitten you yet. If the tick can't be brushed off, then well, there are a, a number of commercial products that are available to remove it. Things that allow you to to sort of pull it off uh, by grabbing it at the level of the mouth. It's, uh, however, even though there are these plastic items that you can buy, it's reasonable just to simply use. Uh, fine tip tweezers to grasp it as close to the surface of the skin as possible. Don't grab it on the main part of its body because then you might have it sort of vomit or regurgitate some of its saliva, which contains the pathogens, into the into your body, into the host body. And so grab it as close to the skin surfaces as possible. Try to grab it by the mouth parts. Pull upward in an even manner. Twisting or jerking as you pull can cause the mouth parts to just break off and remain in the skin. You want to clean the wound area with uh, rubbing alcohol, probably before and after. And afterwards, you want to apply antibiotic ointment. You want to wash your hands afterwards and before. And as an added precaution, you take your clothing, put it in the washer on hot, in hot water, and then dry it in high heat. They don't like that. So if you do all this stuff as soon after the bite occurs, infection is actually pretty unlikely. Uh, now, the good news is that it takes about 24 to 48 hours, maybe more than 24 hours, maybe 36 to 48 hours, for the bacteria to be passed from the tick to you or to whatever the host is. Uh, it takes, takes a while. So if you are diligent, you look around and you examine... Uh, yourself and examine the kids and examine the dog when you come in from the outdoors that's a pretty good idea but once the bacteria has been passed to the host by the tick symptoms of Lyme disease can become apparent anywhere from three days to as much as a month afterwards you usually see some of the following things a rash fever and chills muscle aches fatigue uh, joint pain these are some of the things that you'll see now, in 70% of patients, the rash occurs before the fever, and it starts as a redness in the area of the bite. It then develops into a red circular bullseye in a, in a percentage of people, and this bullseye feels warm to the touch, but ordinarily, it's not particularly painful or itchy. You might have a little pain or itching right where the bug bite, uh, where the tick bite actually was, but as this bullseye spreads over time, they probably won't have a lot of pain or itching associated with it. By the way, that pattern is called erythema migrans, and it's called migrans because it migrates. It spreads out over time, so it may look different from day to day as the disease progresses. Just having this, by the way, may be enough to confirm a diagnosis of Lyme disease. However, this is something that's easily missed or misdiagnosed if symptoms are very mild or if the tick bite is in an unusual location and especially if the tick bite is just missed altogether by the person that examines you by yourself or, or a physician now when a bite from a black-legged tick is newly identified you might be able to prevent an infection by using antibiotics uh, 
to prevent Lyme disease, a single dose of two 100 milligram tablets of doc or capsules of doxycycline, uh, which is known as bird biotic in its veterinary equivalent, may be sufficient to prevent the disease altogether. Now, if you start having erythema migrans, uh, the rash and all that other business, well, you're obviously in the early phase of an actual infection. If that's the case, then you do have to treat rapidly to result in a cure. Yeah, I have to warn you, by the way, symptoms may last a time even with successful treatment. And the kind of treatment that you would use is doxycycline again. It would be to use 100 milligrams twice a day for 14 to 28 days would be a good idea. Or in children, which, by the way, have to be over 8 years old, don't give doxycycline to kids that are under 8, 4 milligrams per kilogram twice a day for 14 to 28 days, to a maximum of 100 milligrams. Uh, you want to avoid doxycycline in pregnant or breastfeeding women is not approved for use in those folks. Now, alternatively, amoxicillin, fish mox, is the veterinary equivalent there, can be used in pregnant or breastfeeding women at dosages of about 500 milligrams three times a day for 14 to 28 days. For children, and you can give this to children younger than eight years of age, uh, 50 milligrams per kilogram would be the dose with a maximum dose of 500 milligrams three times a day. Uh, they've mentioned azithromycin, which is now in a veterinary equivalent called bird zithro, as a second alternative. It can be used in those people that are allergic to penicillin family drugs and can't take amoxicillin. Now, there are infections that progress. Let's say they're not, not treated originally and they can progress into a what they call a chronic or a late-stage infection. So late-stage infections with Borrelia burgdorferi or the Lyme disease bacteria result in a really diverse set of symptoms and are often quite different from those that you saw early. And, and the worst part is they can occur months, for the first time they can occur months after the actual tick bite. And they include things like neck pain, stiffness, severe headaches, uh, multiple rashes away from the site of the bite, uh, joint pain, swelling in large joints like your knee, uh, so something called Bell's palsy. Bell's palsy is when you have nerve damage that causes drooping and, and lack of movement on one side of the face. Uh, heart problems such as irregular heartbeats, dizziness, shortness of breath. Wow, all this stuff. Oh, inflammation of the spinal cord, meningitis. That's called meningitis. And other types of nerve pains like shooting pains or numbness or tingling in the hands, feet, or face. And even difficulty with cognition. In other words, you lose short-term memory, perhaps, or other uh, thinking skills. And a lot of these symptoms will persist for long periods of time, no matter what you do, because as of yet, there's just not a proven cure or really truly effective treatment for late-stage chronic Lyme disease, even though there is a vaccine from a French company that is now in development, and who knows when that will come out. That's just in early stages, phase one trials, and I expect it to be years before that comes out. Well, an ounce of prevention, they say, is worth a pound of cure. This old saying is so relevant when it comes to infections caused by tick bites and especially Lyme disease. So to prevent Lyme disease, consider when you're going to be outdoors, you're going to be working in the yard, you're on a trail, 
whatever, long pants and sleeves, if at all possible, thick socks, high top boots, tuck your pants into your boots. I think that's a really important part there because these little critters can crawl up. Oh, yeah. So They're mobile. Make sure you tuck the, the bottom of your pants into some, some good-sized socks, tight socks. Yeah, absolutely. It, that is a great idea for the trail, no matter no matter what, even in, even for other issues as well. Uh, if you are in a trail in which you can walk in the center without brushing by the bushes and tall grass at the edge of the trail, that would be great. Uh, you can use insect repellents like DEET. You have to use at least 20% DEET or greater. Uh, on your, you could use that on your skin. You could also use natural products like oil of citronella, soybean oil, lemon eucalyptus, not lemon oil, oil, lemon, lemon eucalyptus, eucalyptus oil, right? Specific type. <laughs> right. These are natural alternatives that you can also use. It smells good too. Now that's great for your skin, but for your clothes, you might want to consider applying 0.5 percent. Permethrin, that's P-E-R-M-E-T-H-R-I-N, permethrin insecticide to clothing, hats, shoes, camping gear. And you should do that 24 to 48 hours before you use them or go out on the trail. And the great thing about using this stuff is that proper application will even withstand laundry. So what they usually comes in a spray, you apply it to uh, your clothing, your shoes, tent, uh, walls perhaps and then you allow it to dry and then you're good and it will be good through even uh, a wash or two uh, of course thorough exam thorough exams after every day outdoors very important pay special attention to i think i mentioned this already kids and dogs uh, they will wind up being the the ones that'll be rolling around in the tall grass and in the bushes so they're most likely to wind up getting these little things. And you got to pay attention to the little things sometimes, and especially when the little things are ticks. You've got to be absolutely sure that you don't get bitten by them. If you can pay attention to that, you can make sure your outdoor activities are going to be healthy, they're going to be memorable. And when I say that, I mean in a good way. Hey! <laughs> you scared me. Boo. Have hey. You, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> have you experienced the joy and satisfaction that goes with helping the elderly? Well, <laughs> make an old man, that's me, very happy by checking out our new 900-page, wait, 700-page, sorry, I added 200 pages. There's 700-page third edition of the Survival <laughs> Medicine Handbook. Oh that's my, my next set. No, no, the no. Next edition Don't believe him. It, it's, that's not true. Page. 900 not, pages. We are not writing another book. Not, <laughs> nope, this is it. Not any time Get the, the additions, that's it. If anything Maybe about else, something else. Yes, there you go. Maybe I'll write about something You know what else. I'd like to write about? And I know, it's nursing. I want to get out the nursing stuff. Yeah, you should. How to take care of bedridden patients, how to change um, bed linens and bedpans, all the really exciting stuff. Well, but it's, it's <laughs> but very important. But you need important. to know that. If you guys don't know that and you have somebody in bed who's really, really sick and you know, nowadays, you can pay people to come in and do that. You yep. know, or insurance can come in and help you. Yeah, but so what if, if... But if you're right. alone or you've never learned this stuff, you know, there's tricks to this. It's not brain surgery, but, you know, you just need to hear it and see it and read it at least a few times, nope. and then you can get it Make your easily. job a little easier. Yeah. 
That's right. So check out our survival medicine handbook. It's called The Survival Guide for When Medical Health is Not on the Way. Third edition. Don't forget to get the third edition. Now available on Amazon.com. Also at our home store at doomandbloom.net. Store.doomandbloom.net. So we appreciate that. Uh, you have supported us so much. I, we really have been blessed to have the support of But don't guys. believe him. He's not writing another book. I'm writing another book. I swear to book, you. But not, this, not on survival medicine. I'm going to write another Thank book you. on uh, uh, on my my memoirs. <laughs> live, I'm sorry I have to laugh. <laughs> live, lives, the Act- life of a geezer. Act- <laughs> it's going to be my book. Actually, I've given you a couple of things to write about, but you uh, refuse. So. I refuse. Well... <laughs> Nothing, nothing X-rated, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe some love tips is what love I'm saying. Love tips. All right. Well, there's a lot of people that don't silliness, know. Enough silliness. <laughs> enough silliness. Let's talk a little bit about another medical issue. That is what our show's about, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk about medic in austere settings, and of course, we've talked about a lot of major medical issues that people have had to deal with. Yep. Talked about pandemic diseases. We've talked about hemorrhagic wounds we talked about gunshot wounds stab wounds things like that but you know what there are minor issues as well that maybe don't threaten your patient your group members lives but they can seriously affect the quality of life or work efficiency of people that need to be in good shape in times of trouble remember if something happens you're going to need your people at 110 percent and there are a lot of minor issues that you might consider minor, let's say toothaches, or what I'm going to talk about now, foot infections that can become a nuisance or worse. Now, one problem that's very common and is going to be even more so off the grid is going to be foot and toenail fungus, also known as athlete's foot. When your dogs are howling, and I mean your feet when I say your dogs, because you aren't able to change socks often, you're on the road or on the trail and they're just not you just don't have that many pairs of socks or you just can't stop to to launder them well athlete's foot might be something that is a major issue expect this to be particularly relevant in scenarios where you're going to have to be constantly on the move athlete's foot is also known as tinea pedis tinea pedis and it's an infection of the skin caused by a type of fungus known as trichophyton uh, fungi are microscopic organisms that like dark and humid conditions. And of course, a sh- in, norm- in normal times, a foot is usually encased in a shoe, usually encased within a sock. So uh, they, they get quite humid, as a matter of fact. Uh, so this could be a chronic issue. It could be last for years if, it doesn't treat, if, it, if you don't treat it. Uh, and neglect can lead to its spread from not only between the toes, to, it can also go to the hands, it can go to the groin area, it can be uh, a real mess. And it's important to know that fungal infections are likely to be contagious. They can be passed by sharing shoes or socks, they can be passed from uh, shower floors, using sharing towels, sharing slippers that uh, you use at the beach or, at the, or, or in the shower at the gym. That those people that are affected by athlete's foot can also find themselves with a number of other fungal type conditions like ringworm, jock itch, that's called tinea cruris, is, is jock itch. These are major problems, in term, not in terms of causing a risk to your life, but certainly causing an effect on the quality of your life. 
any fungal infection is made worse by moist conditions. So people who are prone to athlete's foot commonly spend long hours in closed shoes. They, they keep their feet wet for prolonged periods, uh, perhaps in work, during work or uh, during their activities. They've had a, a tendency to get cuts on feet and hands. So if the in skin is injured, then the chances of getting a, a fungal infection is also higher. Uh, they perspire a lot. Um, they may be older or have chronic medical conditions. People with diabetes have a lot of this kind of problem. And interestingly enough, it seems to occur more in males. So go figure. Now, <laughs> I don't know. We're just, <laughs> women are just the stronger sex. Oh, there you go. There you go. Good recovery. <laughs> <laughs> so what does foot fungus look like? To make a diagnosis, basically you're looking for flaky skin between the toes or the fingers. And the skin may appear sort of red and raw, and the nails can wind up uh, becoming yellow and thickened and sort of crumbly and sort of have little pieces come off them uh, when when you fiddle with them or when you try to cut them. They don't, they don't cut up, come off in one easy piece of, of toenail. They come off in little just little hunks. They just sort of crumble. you got to see it to believe it. Uh, toenails may even separate from the underlying nail bed in some of the worst cases, and that's bad. And there's a lot of itching or burning in these affected areas, and it can be really severe. If the skin has been traumatized by scratching, which you're going to be itching, so what are you going to do with an itch? You scratch it. Well, when you scratch it off, you're going to break the skin. When you break the skin, you might see some drainage of clearish or yellowish fluid, or it might you might get another infection, a secondary infection, and find some pus there as well. So this is, and truthfully, the damage caused by scratching is probably worse than the infection itself uh, and can cause things like cellulitis. We've talked about that before, skin infections and in, in infected wounds and things like that. Now, toenails will appear yellowish in athlete's foot, but you might see dark spots as well. If you do see dark spots, the brown spots, blue spots, black spots, they may not be athlete's foot. It could be just debris or it could be related to other issues. If you've had an injury, a collection of blood under the nail is called a hematoma. That's going to be dark. That could be bluish black, and often that'll be painful, uh, probably more painful than athlete's foot is by itself. Uh, less often if there's a tumor like a melanoma, uh, one of those color uh, tumors that are have pigment in them it's called melanoma that may present under the nail and it may have a dark or a mottled appearance it'll it'll look irregular so that's something to look for i'm gonna to have to do an article or do a segment on on the show with regards to melanoma i think a lot of people should know about it now of course if the condition's mild keeping your feet clean and dry and dry may be enough to allow slow improvement of the condition Oftentimes, however, topical antifungal ointments or powders such as myconazole, clotrimazole, these are useful for relief. And the worst cases actually give you these oral prescription antifungals such as fluconazole, and the brand name is diflucan, or terbinafine, which is called lamisil. These are items that are used for some of the worst cases. And so if, you, if you're offered these medicines, then you've got a bad case and you should be taking them. Now, creams and ointments, they cover the skin between the toes more thoroughly. 
than obviously taking a pill, but don't use them too often because extensive mo excessive moisture may delay healing. You don't really want them to be that, your, your feet, especially areas with athlete's foot, to be too wet, which makes you wonder why they give actually creams and ointments for this instead of, let's say, powders. The truth of the matter is, is that the drier it is probably the better. Now, in the worst case, an infected nail may actually require removal. If somebody says you have to have that nail removed, just remember that it's going to take about a year or so to grow back completely. And it may not grow back exactly the way it was the first time around. So be patient and be realistic about what is going to come with regards to the healing process. So patient is a virtue when you have when you monitor somebody that's healing from this it does not something that gets better within a few days usually it takes more than a month for a case of athlete's foot to resolve in the meantime make sure you're disinfecting your shoes with antifungal powders at least on a on a regular basis at least weekly is the absolute minimum i'd say now a favorite home remedy for athlete's foot involves placing tea tree oil liberally to a foot bath and soaking in it for about 20 minutes or so then dry the feet well and then maybe a drop or two onto the worst affected areas you repeat this process about twice daily with tea tree oil in a foot bath and keep the area as dry as possible otherwise for prevention of future outbreaks of athlete's foot you would apply some of this tea tree oil maybe once a week before putting on socks and shoes uh, 5% apple cider vinegar foot soaks that has also been recommended two to four cups of this usually works uh, mix it 50 50 with water the acid will kill the fungus as well as soften and break down the skin changes that it causes use a washcloth to gently scrub the infected areas uh, however some people get irritated from this kind of bath so uh, if that's the case you need, need to put more water in than um, what i just mentioned Others recommend soaks with other items such as black tea, cinnamon, betadine, or a povidone iodine solution, or Epsom salts. So there are a lot of different home remedies that might just work for you. One of them is snake root extract. That is something that is thought to be very useful. You apply it about every third day for the first month, and it is a and, and once a week afterwards for about two or three months and it is supposed to be a long-term um, treatment for athlete's foot and that's something that you and that's something that you certainly can do a Vicks vapor rub applied with a swab uh, sometimes shows partial improvement in a number of cases uh, one I'm, I'm talking about all these ways that might work there are some ways that won't work for sure and one of them is urinating on your feet in the shower <laughs> such pleasant things we discussed honey. i mean it <laughs> well about that interestingly enough the urea in or in the ammonia in urine might actually kill germs but the concentration in urine in human urine at least is just not strong enough to kill the athlete's foot fungus so if you want to pee on your foot in the shower Feel free, but don't do it because you think it's going to fix your athlete's foot. Now, you might have your own home remedy for foot fungus. If so, I hope you'll send us an email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. I'll bet that there's a lot out there that we don't know about or that we didn't, certainly that we didn't mention. I know there are quite a few 
different ones, uh, different remedies. So please feel free to send us the all the information that you possibly can. I'm going to talk a little bit more about sanitation to end to end the show. Sanitation is really an important factor in staying healthy, and especially in rural homesteads and survival scenarios, one formidable obstacle for the survival medic is the guess what? Rodents, <clears throat> rats, and mice. Rats and mice are well-known causes of what we call zoonotic infections. A zoonotic disease is one that can be transmitted from animals to humans. And the rodent in question, uh, interestingly enough, usually doesn't have symptoms of the disease itself, but serves as what we call a vector. That means it carries the disease to a human target. Rats and mice belong to the order Rodentia, from the Latin word rodere, which means to gnaw. And this order contains various families, including beavers, porcupines, squirrels, and gophers, and all sorts of other ones. And we're going to talk a little bit about rats and mice because, you're, let's face it, you're unlikely to have an infestation of beavers in your home. Uh, a pair of rats, by the way, are pretty... They're amazing in the way they can reproduce. If a pair of rats reproduced, uh, produced offspring and in just one year, if all the offspring survive and reproduce in turn you would have 1,500 rats. So if you can think out of a, a great business that involves rats, then you might you might have a get-rich-quick get scheme because in one year you're going to have a mess of them. Now, when these animals are introduced into new areas, you have to realize that they cause all sorts of environmental and economic damage. Indeed, most mice for example, and rats are not from here. They're either from Europe or from Asia. So um, there are a number of mice that are native. These are usually mice that you see in the fine in the forest. But the truth of the matter is, is that the rats and mice that you see in urban settings are usually imports and invasive species. And indeed, some of the world's most invasive species. As a matter of fact, every year a percentage of the world's food supply is contaminated by droppings, urine, hair of rodents, and these items can contain disease-carrying organisms that render a food item just unfit for human consumption. So it should be noted, by the way, that rodents even chew through electrical wiring and therefore are also considered a fire hazard. So it makes sense to take measures to prevent rodent infestation in the home and to eliminate those that might already be there. Now, once an infestation has occurred, much more effort is required to dislodge these guys. These are, once they're there, they are going to stay there unless you really, really work at it. Rodent-proofing a home involves carefully evaluating it for points of entry from the level of the foundation to the roof. And that includes sewer lines, bathroom vents, pipes and gutters, doors and windows, vegetation near the concrete uh, foundation of the house. Wow, I mean, it's pretty amazing how these guys really get around. Now, some rodent-proofing techniques for homes include sealing cracks in building foundations, walls, siding, uh, roof joints. Uh, sometimes there's a mesh hardware cloth that you can use. You only need, the, you have to, or concrete patching, of course, is also useful. Rodents only need about, uh, mice at least, one quarter inch of opening to gnaw their way into your home. Other, or rats can start with that, actually, and they can also make a hole big enough to get in. There are these metal mesh scouring pads, <clears throat> Brillo pads and things like that, 
or galvanized window screening, which can be used. But steel wool in general, the truth of the matter is, between you and I, steel wool deteriorates pretty quickly and would only be a, a, a temporary solution. Uh, you want to install vent guards in bathroom and washer and dryer vents so they can't get up through there. You want to place barriers to prevent climbing rodents from going up pipes or gutters, uh, trimming trees so the branches don't come close to the roof. That's important. Uh, you want to prevent rodents, especially rat rats, <clears throat> from tunneling under the foundation by placing fat, flat concrete pavers or gravel for the first three feet from the base of the house. That's important. Uh, never leave food or water out overnight. You want to keep your countertops clean and disinfected. You want, by the way, bread boxes. They're there for a reason. You may not. You may seem old-fashioned. You why do people have a bread box? Guess what? It was originally to keep the bread away from rats and mice. So there you have it. Have a bread box and put your bread in it. Never leave pet food outside, by the way. You should always clean all bowls daily, whether they're used inside or out. Rodents just love to eat dog food, cat food. Just about anything you, you're going to leave out, they're going to wind up wanting to eat or at least taste. Uh, you want to clean under kitchen appliances. Even a few crumbs can make a meal for a mouse. Uh, keep garbage disposals and sinks clean. Put a cup of bleach down it every month. Uh, never flush grease down the sink drain. Uh, keep your toilet lids down when until you need them. Uh, store dry foods, even pet foods, in sealed, cont sealed containers and at least 18 inches off the floor. Firewood, great place for them to hang out. Store it away from your home, 30 feet away if you can, at least 18 inches off the ground. And trim all vegetation that abuts the house so that you can inspect the grounds near the foundation very easily. Um, tree branches that uh, connect to gutters or, or allow accessibility to gutters, that's something that you want to eliminate too. Ivy, other climbing plants, you want to eliminate exterior walls, that because they, uh, uh, climbing plants from exterior walls because that can hide points of entry. And you might want to construct barriers around birdhouses, bird feeders, so that you can prevent the seed from being accessible to be for, for these rodents. So these are just some of the things that you should be doing. And we don't have really enough time to go into what to do if the rodents are already in your home. That was mostly prevention that we were talking about. Uh, but we are going to talk about that next week because that is very important, and I think there's a lot of, lot of important aspects to it. You know, should you use glue traps? Should you use uh, standard mouse traps? Uh, are these things uh, items you should put in specific places? And what's the pattern of these traps that you should put in? I mean, one, one trap just may not be enough. Oh, you know, I just wanted to say one other thing. Before I go any further, let me tell you that I have known a lot of people that had rats and mice as pets, and I, I know can you, tell you you keep telling us to get one. <laughs> I can tell you I, I can tell you that I've worked with rats in scientific laboratories during my college days, and I have had uh, these animals uh, very well acquainted with these animals. I can tell you that in general, these guys are generally clean. They're very intelligent creatures. I'm maybe, maybe even more so than some owners. 
Yeah. <laughs> all I right. can say, I have. I just want to say that I have had the privilege of working with them in university laboratories, and a lot of the medical advances that have been made started off with doing terrible things to rats. That's so it's, it's very true that we owe a debt of gratitude to these guys. But that doesn't mean that we should provide a home for them to reproduce and to spread disease. Okay, boys and girls, there you have it. That's all the time that we have for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe and Amy Alton, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We'll be back next week from Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Hallelujah. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. To contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become in these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse? You need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Joe Alton, MD of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did it.